Yeah, that's good. That's good. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he was playing with the podium last week and learned that this little thing can't hold his entire weight, and so it just dropped down. But that's okay. Thank you for fixing it. All right, this week we are going to continue our series, Heart, Mind, and Soul. The battle begins. This is actually week three in the series. Uh, when we go through troubling times, which we learned we will have battles, the enemy will try to attack us on these three areas of our lives, and these three areas are heart, our mind, and our soul. And once he has taken ground on these three fronts, he has taken control. Our heart is where trust is built. Our mind is where we build tenacity to keep us strong, to keep us focused. Our soul is where temperance will bring peace. And we must have control of all three areas of these lives in order to remain victorious in our Christian lives. So allow me just a second to do a quick recap. The first week we focused on preparing for the battle. We discovered that we can have freedom, but we can't just declare freedom. We have to fight for our freedom and fight to maintain it. In Deuteronomy 20, verses 1 through 4, we discovered four promises concerning our battles. One, there will be battles. Two, God will be with us. Three, God will fight for us. And four, God will give us the victory. We also discussed our responsibility to get dressed for battle. We need to know the armor of God, know what he's given us, and know how to use every weapon he's given us. And last week, we focused on the battle for our hearts. We read in 2 Corinthians 16, 9, that God wants to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal, committed, blameless and completely his but he will also leave us to fight our own battles if our hearts are not loyal committed blameless and completely his it's in our heart that trust is built and trust is the key that unlocks true love and when our hearts are right with God we can trust him in any situation so this week I want to focus on the battle for our mind so turn with me over to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, first book in your Bible. First verse. Couldn't get any more simple than that, right? To find. There's the indexes right there in the front if you need help finding it. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw 
that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, well, the serpent deceived me. And so I ate. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. Lord, I ask right now that you just open up our minds, open up our hearts, open up our spirits to receive your word and apply it to our lives that we may be walkers, doers of your word and not just hearers. In Jesus' name, amen. Did God really say the first battle ever recorded in the Bible was the battle of the mind? Can you drop that down just a little bit? I'm trying to get that down. I know. The mind is where doubts enter, and then they begin to eat away at the trust that's in your heart. Once we lose trust, there's no other option but fending for ourselves. So we push God aside and do things on our own. See, once doubt comes in, trust goes out the door. And then there's nothing left but fending for ourselves. So today's main point, when, there, when there's no doubt, there's no stopping us. But where there's doubt, God can't go. When there's no doubt, there's no stopping us. But where there's doubt, God can't go. We've all battled these thoughts. Does God really look out for me? Does God want to keep me from something fun? Does God really care what I do or what I don't do every day? And did God really say that? I want to look at three battlegrounds in the mind. There's three places, common times, that these intense battles will come for our mind. The first one is when we are away from God. Adam and Eve were not walking with God right then. Now, I'm not saying that they weren't saved. I'm saying you can be a great Christian, but sometimes just the distractions of the world, distractions of our life, our busy schedule... We kind of push aside that time alone with God, and we find that it's been a day, it's been two days, it's been a week. It, well, it's just, well, I'm just, come on, we've all used the excuse. I'm just too busy. We've all been given the same 24 hours in a day, and if I can, I want to show you, let's see if I can pull this back up again. 
a statistic I showed you back a few messages ago. Can you push that button, Fred? Push your big red button you like to push. I've got to paint that red just so I can keep saying it. Here it is, the average day of a person. Remember, we went through all this. Starts at the top, 8.88. Yeah, don't we wish we could all get eight hours of sleep. Yeah. <laughs> but just going through this real quickly, glancing down at the bottom, what did we learn? That the last thing on the list, the smallest amount of time that can be measured is spent on religious and spiritual activities, and that's 0.15 in your average day. We're all busy. We can see that. So it's not really an excuse. It's a fact. We are all busy. But that doesn't make it right to push down even below purchasing goods and services, caring for people that aren't even in our household. You know, it's, but wait a minute. I want to challenge you. I, I actually got out my calculator, and I tried to figure out, God, we're all busy. But what if we just gave you the first 15? But see, our human nature is well like, well, that's not enough. Why even try? It's only 15 minutes out of the entire day, 24 hours, 15 minutes. Why even bother? Well, what if you gave? Just your first 15, and I'm saying the best ones, not the ones that you're still trying to wipe the green crud out of your eyeballs and, you know, still yawning every two seconds. I'm talking about your best 15. So for me, that's after I've sat and drank a couple cups of coffee, after I've gotten ready, and then I'm ready to face the world, my mind's attentive, I'm ready to go, I sit down and give God 15. What if we gave God our best, our first 15? Do you know what would happen? My calculator, if my math is correct, would raise it from 0.15 all the way up to 0.43, which actually then comes above the line that says unable to classify activities. So we'd actually be giving God a little bit more time than what we can't even classify, but we just kind of do in our life. Well, Brenda, that's not very much. Well, what if? What if you started doing that? What's wrong with starting small? Give God something. Okay, you can push that big red button again, Fred. Thank you. You're awesome. Because if we don't stay in the presence of God, we will find ourselves in the presence of our enemy alone. We learned that last week. I say if we stay in the presence of God, if it's just that 15 minutes, and then I'm going to teach you in this message how to stay focused on God so that your mind is always in the presence of God. Because the number one place, the most common place that the enemy will attack you is when you're away from God. And the number two most common time to experience intense battles for your mind is 
when you're tired. When you're tired. Research proves that if you are not getting enough sleep, you have decreased alertness, inability to focus, you become subject to extreme emotions and mood swings, you have decrease in energy, loss of motivation, and here it is, here's the kicker, plus a loss of control and prone to impulsive behavior. It's not good. But Brenda, I'm too busy. Well, guess what? Sometimes you just need to say good night to the day. I know I was pulling my hair out. I know it was all my fault. I knew a month, I think even two months in advance, that uh, Shane and Isaiah had asked me to speak in Charlotte Assembly of God to their at, at a, a Tuesday in the morning service and the evening service for their week-long um, missions trip to the city, basically. They call it collision now. Back in the day, we called it impact. Um, collision's just cooler anyway. But anyway, I knew it was coming up. But what happened? I got busy. I got busy, and next thing I know, it was Monday. And oh, by the way, I had to bake all day because we were doing a surprise party for Rachel when, you know, the Tuesday that I was there because it was her birthday. And so I was baking and baking and baking, and finally it got to be, you left for work at 8 o'clock and 9 o'clock, and Isaiah's texting me, you all ready for tomorrow? And I said, buddy, I got to tell you the truth. I haven't even started to work on a message yet. And it was 9 o'clock at night, and I was trying to finish some other things to get that off my plate because I figured I got to get these things off my plate before I can even, you know, focus and then, so then at 10 o'clock, when I opened up my Bible and sat in front of my computer that, you know, that's kind of intimidating at times when you're looking at a blank screen and you know you got to preach in the morning and your day's so packed full so you couldn't even, and I started and it was going nowhere. As a matter of fact, it was like rabbit trail after rabbit trail and I had to keep deleting and backing up and this is not working and finally I started. I started, I think it was like 12.30 or 1 o'clock in the morning. I'm staring at my screen thinking, it's junk. It's, I, I wouldn't even get saved if I had to set through this message. And I tried, every time I tried to close my eyes there and just kind of pray and focus on God in front of my computer, I'd fall asleep. I was not, and I'm like, oh, no, you know, I, I have to stay awake. Lord, help me stay awake. And all I kept hearing was go to bed go to bed, go to bed. And I thought, I cannot go to bed. I have, when I get up in the, I'll just have enough time to get ready and grab my stuff and go. There's no more time. And I just kept hearing, go to bed, go to bed. And so I stood up and I lifted up my hands and I said, God, I don't know how this is all going to come together, but I trust you and I'm not doing any goods, you know, trying to stay awake and get this done. It's not working. I trust you. If you have to put a message together in my sleep, if you have to, I'll leave the computer on, go ahead and type away. Whatever you need to do, I just need to say goodnight to the day. And I went, and I mean, I was out in an instant. I woke up early, refreshed, got ready, did all my stuff, and I went, oh, look, I have about an hour. I'll sit down at that computer again. And things just started coming together. 
And I went and was able to, pre and I only, one message. I'm like, God, there's two I have to have ready for tomorrow. He's like, don't worry, we'll take care of that one later. Let's get this one done. And so I went, and it was, I mean, it was a, it wasn't like, ooh, good word, Brenda. You know, it was God, you know. It, and I had to keep telling, hey, it was God. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. It was God. And then I left from there as soon as we got altar done and got that all done. And I hate to sound so vain, but again, there's resting times. You have to soak in some resting time. I had a mani-pedi scheduled for that afternoon. I wasn't going to reschedule. So I went to the mani-pedi, and I thought it would be just enough time before I have to get back to that church, set up Rachel's dessert table for her party at night. And I thought, where's the time to, to write a message? Where's the time to get alone with God? So I took my iPad right in there, and I looked at the lady that's done my nails forever, and I said, if you don't mind, I need to work on a message for tonight, and I'm just going to sit here and let God speak to me, as, and I'll type away with one finger when I can and the left finger when I can. And she goes, go right ahead. And by the time she was finished and Iris was texting me, we're ready, join us at the church, it was all done. It was put together. But see, when we try to do things on our own, we'll struggle, we'll get tired, we'll burn out. But when we are able to just say, God, have your way, God, it's your turn to just take over and throw up our hands, say goodnight to the day, get your rest in, you can be guarded where you're supposed to be guarded. It's when you push past those times, when you're tired, that like we just read, you lose control you're prone to impulsive behavior. You're moody, emotion, just running ramp, everything. It's not good. Just get your rest because that's the second most common place the enemy will battle for your mind is when you're tired. And then the third most common time to experience intense battles for your mind is when you are too close to that one thing you shouldn't touch. I just have to ask you, why was Eve standing beside the one thing she was not supposed to touch in that whole garden? But isn't that what we do? Even as Christians, even as mature Christians, we want to see how close we can get to the edge of hell and still be saved. Why was she standing next to the tree? God said, don't even touch. I mean, when we set up boundaries for our kids, what do we do? Don't even get close to that thing. That's what I I mean, I've said it. If I've asked them, don't go into the neighbor's yard, I'll be watching from the kitchen window, and when they're getting close to that, I've already got the window up yelling, stay away from there! Don't even get close to that thing. But we as adults, as mature Christians, what do we want to do? We want to get right close. I can just see Eve. I bet she kind of like paced around that tree just looking at, why can't I have that tree? What is, I just, I know God said I can't have, but what is it? Why was she that close to that tree? And where was the enemy? Hiding in that one thing she wasn't supposed to touch. If she would have just stayed away from that tree, she wouldn't have been in the presence of the enemy. Because he was hiding in that one thing she wasn't supposed to touch. 
2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, says, Run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Let me read that same verse to you out of the Living Bible. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, Run from anything that gives you the evil thoughts that young men often have. But stay close to anything that makes you want to do right. Have faith and love and enjoy the companionship of those who love the Lord and have pure hearts. Side note here, though. This uh, words that are used here, youthful lust and evil thoughts that young men often have, they do not mean thoughts about sex only. As a young person, they believe that they can partake in anything they want. What feels good, do it. You've heard them say it. What feels good, just do it. And that there is absolutely no consequences attached to it. That's the youthful thoughts. That's the evil thoughts. That's the youthful lust that goes through their mind. And the Bible says run from anything that stimulates that, that you can do whatever you want to and there's no consequences to it. Run from it. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace, and enjoy the companionship of those like-minded. So those are the three most common battlegrounds for the enemy, and that's where he will try to attack you in your mind. And then there are three weapons that the enemy uses in those battles. It's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, all of which begin in your mind. Let's read again in Genesis 3, 6. It says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Do you know that Jesus was tempted the exact same way by Satan? You can look it up for yourself in Matthew chapter 4. Remember, he had been fasting. And Satan came to him and said, hey, you're hungry. Revelation. But if, so if you're the son of God, turn those rocks there into bread. It's a lust of the flesh. Then he said, look at all the kingdoms. All you have to do is bow down to me, and I'll give you everything you see. Lust of the eyes. And then he took them up on this high temple. He said, now, if you are really who you claim to be, the son of God, then go ahead and throw yourself off from here. Because the Bible says, yes, even the enemy will quote scripture at you. Because the Bible says that God will not allow any harm to his anointed one. It's the pride of life. If you are who you say you are. Each time Jesus overcame the temptation, the battle with scripture, God's word. 
I'm so glad he did this. Because if he would have performed a son of God miracle right there, what would we have to stand on? What would we really have to battle with? How could we say we can win this? But because he used the word of God, everything he, that came out of his mouth was the word of God. We can do that. So when we're being battled for our mind, when the enemy is attacking us, all we have to do is quote scripture, repeat scripture. Because it's scripture, it's God's word that Jesus used to show us we can use it as well. He did this as an example for us. We can do the same thing. In 1 John 2, 15 and 16, it says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. It's everything right there. It all comes from the world. Don't love anything. No lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. And we can defeat every one of these things with the word of God. But we cannot win the battles for our mind on our own. Last week we learned that God will leave us to fight our own battles if we don't seek his help first. Why is that? Pride. It's pride. Pride says, I can do this myself. And we read last week that when we say that, when we seek help from anyone else but God, he says, okay, fine, go ahead. And that's where our struggles begin. As a matter of fact, in Romans chapter 8, I'm going to read a, verses 5 through 8 to you out of the message version. I shared this with the, the youth on Tuesday night. The message version, it says, those who think they can do it on their own end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle, but never get around to exercising it in real life. Those who trust God's action in them find that God's spirit is in them, living and breathing God. Obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. Attention to God leads us out into the open, into a spacious, free life. Focusing on the self is the opposite of focusing on God. Anyone completely absorbed in self ignores God, ends up thinking more about themselves than God. That person ignores who God is and what he is doing, and God isn't pleased at being ignored. There's consequences for losing the battle of our mind. And it's not just that you'll lose your mind. There's other consequences. You will cause others to fall. See, once she ate, she gave some to her husband who was with her. People are not content in their sin until they can get someone else to partake with them. You will cause others to fall. And God does not look favorably on those who cause his children to fall. 
When you cause somebody else to fall, the Bible said it's worse than tying this huge, gigantic boulder around your neck and jumping into the deepest sea. But one of the first consequences to losing the battle in your mind is you will cause somebody else to fall because someone is always watching you. The second consequence is you will see what you never wanted to see. Their eyes were opened. You'll see things happen in your life, to your health, to your family, that you never dreamed would ever happen. You will cast blame on others. Severely wounding relationships. Casting blame fuels pride, and pride pushes people and God away. You will sever relationships. And the fourth consequence is you will fear God out of judgment and not out of love. When they knew they had done wrong, they ran and hid. When you fear God out of judgment, it will cause you to run and hide from him instead of running to him for help, for healing, and forgiveness. We've all done something that we're not proud of in God's eyes. And what happens when we come into church, when we come into worship? We hang our head down. We don't want to get to, because we know. There's consequences for losing that battle. We begin to fear God out of judgment instead of out of love. When we fear out of love, we want to run to him when we mess up. We want to run to him and ask for his forgiveness. Ask for his help. So if you're experiencing any of those consequences, you've already begun to lose the battle for your mind. And today I want us to look at how do we, how can we begin winning the battle for our mind? The first thing is we need to guard our mind. The first week when we talked about preparing for the battle, we talked about Ephesians 6, about knowing the armor that God has given us. The first thing is the helmet of salvation. That helmet will guard your mind. We have the mind of Christ. Matthew Henry's commentary says, this helmet of salvation guards our mind. Salvation must be our hope and must be the focus of our mind. A mind stayed on salvation, well-founded and well-built, will both purify the body, keeping it from being defiled by Satan, and it will comfort the mind, keeping it from being troubled and tormented by Satan. He would tempt us to doubt, but a guarded mind keeps us trusting God and rejoicing in him. You must guard your mind. Put on the helmet of salvation. And remember, we talked about that being daily. Daily setting our mind on God, on our hope, on our salvation. Second thing is take those thoughts 
of doubt captive. Don't you dare let them run free in your mind. When you begin to doubt, you need to attack that doubt. You need to, the Bible says, take it captive. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedience to Christ. Not some of the thoughts, every thought. You need to take control of everything that goes through your mind as if it was being projected upon the screen. That at any moment, you know, over and over again, Jesus perceived their thoughts, knew exactly what they were thinking. The Bible over and over again tells that, God, you know my inner thoughts. Don't let anything go through your mind that you wouldn't be pleased to let God see, because he sees it. Take captive those thoughts of doubt that come in. Take captive every thought, every wrong thought. Demolish every doubt with God's word, just like Jesus did. Battle it. Battle it. Don't let things come out of your mouth that your mind hasn't already battled, guarded, and overcome. We are more than conquerors. I am chosen. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Over and over again, repeat, repeat, and repeat. Make every thought obedient to Christ. And the final thing is be resolute. Be determined in your thinking. It's not just attacking those and taking captive all those wrong thoughts. It's start putting in there right thoughts, things that you're supposed to be thinking about. When you fill your thoughts with good things, it crowds out all the bad things. There's no more room for those bad doubts or those doubts, those bad thoughts. Philippians 4, 8 through 9 goes through the list of things you should be thinking of, things that are pure, things that are noble, things that are right, good, uh, lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Put it into practice. Think on those things. Have you ever sat and just watched people? I can almost tell by just looking in somebody's eyes if they're just given and prone to whatever thing just comes, just comes. Or people that are determined. You can see it in their eyes that are focused, that have a mission. We need to be resolute, determined in our thinking. We need to keep God in our focus. We need to stay focused on our goal and on our mission. And I want to close by sharing a story with you. You may recognize the name Florence Chadwick. In 1952, Florence was the first woman to attempt to swim the 26 miles between the Catalina Island and the California coastline. 
As she began this historical journey, she was flanked by small boats that watched for sharks and were prepared to help her if she got hurt and grew tired. Hour after hour, Florence swam. But after about 15 hours, a thick, heavy fog set in. Florence began to doubt her ability, and she told her mother, who was in one of the boats, that she didn't think she could make it. She swam for one more hour before asking to be pulled out. As she sat in the boat, Florence found out she had stopped swimming just one mile away from the coastline, her destination. Florence explained that she quit because she could no longer see the coastline. There was too much fog. She couldn't see her goal. Two months later, Florence got back into the water to try her task once more. This time it was different. She swam from Catalina Island to the shore of California in a straight path for 26 miles. The same thick fog set in, but Florence made it because she said that while she swam, she kept a mental image of the shoreline in her mind. She didn't lose sight of the shore because she focused on that image of the coast in her mind. And in this way, she reached her goal. Things are going to happen. Battles are going to come. And unless you keep your focus on God, you're going to be distracted, lose heart, and quit. But if you keep in your mind God as your focus, our goal is heaven, our mission is people, telling people about God, sharing the love of God. You'll lose everything if you don't stay focused. Be resolute, determined in your thinking. Take those thoughts of doubt captive and guard your mind. We have a responsibility to this community. Last night was the Blues Fest, and I was overwhelmed at the amount of people that flooded downtown and sat there. And I was going to show you a video, but I couldn't get it to work. But I took a video. We were standing behind the stage looking out across Main Street. And I took a video because of the swarms of people in our own community sitting there wanting, needing someone to tell them about the love of Christ, about the forgiveness of Christ, about the hope that they have but they don't know yet. Because we haven't told them. It's our responsibility. We cannot lose our focus for our mission. Stay focused. Remember, today's main point was when there's no doubt, there's no stopping us. When we win the battle of our mind, there's no stopping us. But where there's doubt, God can't go. When we're so trapped in our own mind, we can't get anything done. Father, I just want to thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, that you make your words so simple for us to be able to digest, to be able to receive, and be able to apply to our life. God, we just 
bind the enemy right now from this place, from each individual, from every thought, Lord. We just take it captive in the name of Jesus and make it obedient to Christ that no longer will we be tossed back and forth by every thought that comes our way and feel like we're just in a whirlwind of doubts and and wrong thinking. But God, through today's message, we stand resolute, determined, and focused on you, guarding our minds with the helmet of salvation. God, and staying focused on you. God, knowing that you are our goal. You are our hope. And you have called us to a mission to go and make disciples. And God, we will win the battle of our mind, not because we can do it ourselves, but because you have overcome. And it's by your word. We seek your help first, God. And it's by your word that we can battle every temptation that Satan brings at us. And we can be victorious in our Christian walk, in our temple that you've given us as our body, and be able to go and lead others in victory as well. And God, we thank you for that. And God, we we just proclaim freedom, but not just freedom that we're proclaiming, but we're going to fight for freedom, Lord. Freedom of our mind, freedom of our heart, freedom of our soul. Free to be who you've called us and created us to be, God. We give you everything. Have your way in Jesus' name. And God, right now, we just take a moment to silence ourselves before you. God, I feel, I would feel amiss if I was to leave right now and not give room for you to speak to each individual, God. Speak to their hearts, speak to their minds, God, and help them be aware of any ploy of the enemy, any schemes of the enemy, any, anything that the enemies tried to use to, to, to just take them off track, God. Speak to them. Make them aware of it. Your word says you will. Make us aware of every scheme of the enemy. And so we ask right now as we just sit here quietly that you do that. God, is there a place in our life, place in our home that we've maybe allowed the enemy access? Speak that to us right now. There might be something you need to do today that you may need to do this week to close the door where you've allowed the enemy access. The Holy Spirit teaches us how to walk out God's word. If we listen to him and his leading, he will give us the most practical steps to take. When to go to bed, when to wake up, 
when to put something down that we maybe thought that we needed to complete. He's teaching us. He's speaking to us all the time. We need to be quiet and listen. Because remember those battlegrounds where the enemy will try to attack us most is when we're too busy to get alone with God. When we're tired and when we're too close to the one thing God's asked us not to touch. Holy Spirit will give you practical steps to keeping you in God's presence so that you stay far away from the enemies. God, thank you, Lord, that you love us enough that you've given us a helper, a counselor, a teacher to be with us all the time, to direct us and lead us. And God, right now we just submit to your leadership. Have your way. And have your way, Lord, to just search my heart, search my mind, and point out any area in me that is not pleasing to you. And if it's a thought, to take it captive and make it obedient to Christ. Teach me to just devour your word in such a way that, Lord, I'll hide your word so deep in my heart that I will not sin against you. And you'll bring every scripture to my remembrance, to my memory, when I need to use it as a weapon to fight against those doubts and those wrong thinking and those wrong thoughts. God, have your way in this church, in our lives, and help us be the church that Marshall needs us to be that you need us to be for the community. In Jesus' name, amen.